ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we're still in the same chapter as last week. We are now on the hadith Wali Abi Dawood Bisanadin Sahih An Uqbah Ibn Amir Qal Dhukirati Tirah Inda Rasulillahi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Fakal Ahsanuha Al Fa'l Wala Turad or Tarud Musliman, فَإِذَا رَأَى أَحَدُكُمْ مَا يَكْرَهُ فَلْيَقُلْ أَلَّهُمَّ لَا يَأْتِ بِالْحَسَنَاتِ إِلَّا أَنْتْ وَلَا يَدْفَعُ السَّيِّئَاتِ إِلَّا أَنْتْ وَلَا حَوْلَ وَلَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِكَ So this one now then, this particular hadith uh, mentioned from Uqbah ibn Amir he mentions that the tira, the omens, and those affairs associated to the omens, they were mentioned in the presence of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he said, better than that is optimism, and it meaning these omens and so-called omens, do not prevent a Muslim from proceeding and going about his affairs. So if any one of you see something that you dislike, then let him say, Allahumma la yati bil hasanati illa ant. Varaw Allah, no one brings the goodness other than you. وَلَا يَدْفَعُ السَّيِّئَاتِ إِلَّا أَنْتِ And nobody repels the evils other than you. وَلَا حَوْلَ وَلَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِكَ And there is no... Hawl means there is no change. That can occur and there is no might or power except with you. La hawla wa la quwwata. Hawla meaning changing from one state to another state. Being able to do a particular action, which then means you're going from one state to another state. That this action and movement and affairs cannot occur except through you, except by your might and power and decree. So here then, it continues, عن أبي مسعود مرفوعا الطيرة شرك الطيرة شرك وما منا إلا ولكن الله يذهبه بالتوكل رواه أبو داود وترمذي وصحها وَجَعَلَ آخِرَهُ مِنْ قَوْلِ ابْنِ مَسْعُودِ So in this one, 
Abu Mas'ud, he mentions marfu'an. Marfu'an, meaning that it is being attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That he said, these omens and all of their types are shirk. And he repeated it again, these omens and their types are shirk. And there is none from amongst us. And then the hadith continues to the end. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes whatever you may feel with tawakkul in him. If you put your trust and reliance in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah will remove any feeling of negativity and pessimism that you may experience in your heart. In the explanation here then, uh, starting from the يُعْجِبُنِي al where the messenger mentioned about optimism and the beginning of this narration also says أَحْسَنُ الْفَأَلْ The optimism. The optimism is تَأْمِيلُ الْخَيْرِ That a person hopes for goodness, has optimism in the circumstances and situation that he's in, whereas the omens that they used to engage in, that was pessimism, having a bad outlook, that this happened, the birds flew that way, so it's bad luck. Always thinking in that negative way, believing bad luck is going to happen in this, in that. But the messenger, he mentioned, that the optimistic outlook that is what pleases me to have optimism and have a good feeling about the affairs and about the situation about the circumstances whatever it may be and having that optimistic outlook on things that is something required of a believer and as for that pessimism and believing in bad luck and it's going to be bad and it's going to work out wrong and having that bad outlook on things always, believing in bad luck is going to happen, that very pessimistic attitude, then that is not correct. It is prohibited to be like that because that is having bad thoughts of Allah. All of the decree. And whatever is going to happen, it is all under the control of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when a person constantly has pessimistic beliefs or feelings or a, a bad luck type of attitude to everything, then he is in essence having bad thoughts of Allah. That Allah is going to decree this bad for me and that bad for me and this bad for me. You're having bad thoughts of Allah, and that is not permissible. Rather, a person needs to have the good thoughts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and believe that goodness will come for you and that Allah will bring ease and facilitation in your affairs for you. فَإِذَا, نعم, فإذا سَمِعَ الشَّخْصُ كَلِمَةً طَيِّبَةً 
إن شرح صدره أو رأى شخصا طيبا جاء إليه إن شرح صدره وأمل خيرا So we mentioned this last time when you hear some good speech or you see some good person then all of these types of things you get a good feeling from them and you have an optimistic outlook to whatever is to occur and you have good thoughts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that is what is required of a person and the messenger used to be pleased it would please him to be optimistic about things and have good thoughts of Allah in the affairs and it is important to remember this because many people they are overcome by the shaitan with what they call these days everybody depression this person has depression and that person has depression because they are overwhelmed with the bad thoughts this is going to happen and that person said this and this thing happened over there and what's going to happen now and what are they going to say about this now and all the time it is the bad thoughts running through the mind of that person and they are forgotten and they have become negligent of their optimism and their good thoughts of Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may facilitate some ease in their affair without them even recognizing or knowing where that ease is going to come from. Like the famous hadith about the man who said, Oh Allah, I am your Lord and you are my servant. Who said that? The man who lost his camel. The hadith about the man, he was in the desert far away and his camel had all of his supplies on it his water his food his supplies were all loaded onto his camel and then as he was out in the desert and he laid down then suddenly when he noticed his camel had disappeared the camel was gone and he's in the middle of the desert all his water and his supplies were packed on, loaded on to the camel. The camel is gone. So he sits down under a tree, believing that it's over. He's going to die. He's going to die in the desert. No water, no ability to walk out of there like that. Miles away from civilization. He believes he's going to die. Sits down to die. And then, as he opens his eyes after sitting there for a while, perhaps eyes closed, believing that's it, he's going to die in this spot. He opens his eyes and all of a sudden, his camel is back and is stood next to him. From the great amount of joy and great amount of happiness he experiences in that moment, in the moment where he now knows that he will live and that he's not going to die, his camel is back, his water, his food, from the overwhelming emotion of a person who just moments ago had sat down to die, now he sees salvation has been decreed for him 
from the great joy and emotion, he accidentally says, Oh my Lord, you are my servant and I am your Lord. He meant to say that you are my Lord and I am your servant. To affirm that greatness to Allah, but accidentally from the joy he was experiencing, it mixed up and he said, you are my servant and I am your Lord. The point being, that man had sat down under the tree in the shade to die. Had lost hope of any possibility of being saved, any possibility of getting out of that situation alive. And then by the decree of Allah, not that he did anything after that. He didn't go out looking and searching. He sat down to die, thinking there's nothing he can do now. And Allah decrees his camel from wherever it was to come back, right back to him again. So a person does not know when they are in some difficult circumstance, some difficult situation where the the exit from that may be from Allah. وَمَن يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا Whomsoever fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah will make a way out for that person. So it is incumbent upon the believer that he constantly has good thoughts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no matter what his circumstances may be, no matter what the difficulties and burdens and hardships and complications of life may be, and they are always there, the trials and tribulations of life are always there. That is the existence that we are in. الَّذِي خَلَقَ الْمَوْتَ وَالْحَيَاةَ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا Allah created death and life to test you. Which of you is the best in your actions? Which of you will be the best in your deeds? Created the death and the life to test you. So tests and trials, they will come. But as the messengers who faced the greatest of the tests and trials, they demonstrated their patience and their tawakkul, their trust and their reliance, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they were the most tested. In Ashaddan Nasi Bitilaan, Alambiya, Thummal Amphal Fal Amphal, the most tested of the people are the prophets, then the most like them, and the most like them, the most resemblant in their pathway upon the truth, will face tests and trials. That is the nature of this life. To see who will be upon that patience and be elevated and who will lose their hope and drown in their depression. So here it is mentioned the Prophet ﷺ loved optimism in his affairs. Loved to have the optimism and the good thoughts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in this narration when it was mentioned to him, in fact, there's a, a, an example that Sheikh Al-Fawzan mentions here. لَمَّا أَقْبَلَ سُهَيْلِ إِبْنُ عَمَرِ فِي قِصَّةِ الْحُدَيْبِيَّةِ لِيَتَفَاوَضَ مَعَ الرَّسُولِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَرَآهُ مُقْبِلًا 
قال صلى الله عليه وسلم سهل سهل لكم من أمركم وكان كما أمل الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم فكان مجيئه سبب خير It's mentioned when in the story of Hudaybiyah and when those uh, negotiations were going to take place that Suhail ibn Amr approached. Suhail, that name from the Arabic word or family tree indicating Sahel, Suhail from the family tree indicating ease. Sahlun as opposite to Sa'bun. So it's from the family tree of words indicating ease. His name was Suhail. So when the messenger saw him approaching, he said, Allah has facilitated your affairs for you. That he had optimism. That his name is Suhail. And that is something that reminded him to be optimistic. That Allah will make it sahil. That Allah will make the affairs easy and facilitate them for us. A reminder for the good thoughts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from that name. A reminder to him for the optimism. So in this narration it mentions, فَإِذَا رَأَى أَحَدُكُمْ مَا يَكْرَهُ That if one of you does see something, does fall into some circumstance, some situation that is not pleasing to you, and it occurs, that some scenario, some circumstance may occur that is not pleasing to you. It is not giving you comfort in your mind. It is something of a stressful nature to you. If you see some type of affair that is displeasing to you, then in this hadith it tells you what to do when you see or experience something of that nature that brings discomfort to you and you don't like it and you don't see some good uh, 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 end result coming from it, then what do you do? It mentions in this narration to make the dua. The narration does have some speech regarding its authenticity. So that will need to be looked into further. But the narration does mention to say, Allahumma la yati bil hasanati illa ant, wa la yadfa'u sayyiati illa ant, wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa bik. That oh Allah, nobody brings the goodness except you, and nobody repels the evil except you, and there is no change, no might or power except through you. And then it goes on to say, wa ma minna illa and then to the end of it, وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يُذْهِبُهُ بِالتَّوَكُّلْ This is mentioned as being from the speech of Ibn Mas'ud. But Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud, he would say, يَقَعُ فِي قُلُوبِنَا شَيْءٌ مِّنَ الطِّيَرَةِ That sometimes it may occur in our hearts some feeling of uh, uh, seeing something and thinking that's going to turn out bad and having a negative and pessimistic feeling towards things, it may occur in our hearts at times and we may have that feeling of the bad luck perhaps occurring in our hearts at times. 
So when you see something that displeases you and something befalls your heart regarding that circumstance or affair, and it's a type of thing that you can't repel. It is something you cannot rebuke or, or, or repel and stop. Then that type of thing is not something that you are held accountable upon. Meaning some situation that is not pleasing to you occurs. And it's occurring. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. And that is not pleasing to you this situation that is occurring or whatever the affair might be. But you can't stop it and can't do anything about it. So you're going to have a negative feeling regarding this issue. You're going to have some type of bad feeling regarding this issue. That in and of itself isn't something you are held accountable upon. Of course, a person when they see something they dislike is going to have a bad type of feeling regarding it. That isn't the issue in and of itself. As the hadith mentions, in Allah تَجَاوَزَ عَنْ أُمَّتِي الْخَطَأْ وَالنِّسْيَانِ وَمَا حَدَّثَتْ بِهَا أَنفُسُهَا مَا لَمْ تَتَكَلَّمْ أَوْ تَعْمَلْ That Allah has pardoned تَجَاوَزَ عَنْ يعني عَفَى Allah has pardoned my ummah from the خَطَأْ the mistake and what is the mistake? A mistake that a believer falls into unintentionally. You had no intention. You did not plan or intend to do that, but you ended up somehow falling into some error through no intent of your own. That error now, you are not held accountable upon. One nisyan and forgetfulness again, you end up maybe forgetting to do an act of worship that was supposed to be done. But genuinely through forgetfulness, something occurred and you genuinely forgot and you missed that act of worship you were supposed to do. So you'll not be held accountable even though you've got to still make up that act of worship if it was something obligatory. Doesn't mean that is excused. You are excused from being held accountable but you still got to make up the worship if it was something obligatory to be done. Or through forgetfulness, you may end up falling into some wrong through forgetfulness. How could that be? What's an easy and obvious example? Through forgetfulness, falling into some wrong. Eating in Ramadan. A person forgetfully eats. Man akala aw shariba. The one who eats or drinks whilst he is fasting, but it is from forgetfulness. Whoever forgets and he eats or drinks whilst he is fasting, then that, are you held accountable upon it? You are not held accountable upon the genuine forgetfulness. And this, when the ayat in the Qur'an were revealed. Uh, the ayat before this section, قُلْ إِن تُخْفُوا 
ما في أنفسكم قل إن تبدو ما في أنفسكم أو تخفوه يحاسبكم به الله in the ayat where it says if you make apparent in tubdu ma fi anfusikum aw tukhfuhu or conceal what is inside of yourself whether you make apparent what you are thinking inside or you conceal it yuhasibukum billah allah holds you accountable upon it so then how do we understand that ayah with what we've just said that if you have something inside of yourself you're thinking about some evil action you're thinking about doing some bad but you conceal it inside of yourself or you make it apparent the ayah says in both circumstances you hasibukum billah allah holds you accountable in both circumstances how are you held accountable for what you just think about How can you be held accountable for what you just think about? What just occurs to you? Maybe something bad occurs to you. You're going to be held accountable for that thought? So when this ayah was revealed, it was obviously difficult for the companions to comprehend this, that even what we just think about inside, If it was something bad, we're accountable upon that thought. They said to the messenger, they went to him to ask about this because everybody, most people, very few people are safe from that. Some thought may come to you, some whispering of the shaitan may come to you. So are we going to be held accountable upon all those thoughts? The companions went to the Prophet ﷺ asking him about that. How can that be? How can we... How can we manage like that then? If all of our thoughts and what we think about and what occurs to us inside, we're going to be accountable upon it. The messenger said to them, Are you, because this was an ayah of the Quran. And not was, is, it's an ayah of the Quran. So the messenger said to them, Are you trying to say to me, as Banu Israel said, the disbelievers, when they said, Samirna wa asayna, we heard, we hear, and we disobey. The messenger said to them, Are you going to hear this ayah and try to go against it and complain about it and disobey? They said, Of course, we submit. We submit. So when they submitted, when they said, Sami'na wa ata'na, and we believe, Aman al-Rasulu, in the Al-Baqarah at the end, that the messenger and the believers, all of them believe in Allah, his messenger, his books, etc. They said, we believe, we submit. Even though they were having a difficult time understanding how our thoughts were going to be held accountable. But they said, of course, the Quran, we submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that was the test upon them. When they submitted and they said, Samirna wa ata'na then. Of course, we hear and we obey. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, La yukallifullahu nafsan illa usaha. That Allah does not burden a soul except that which it can bear. And then it continues with the section about, La tu'akhidna in nasina aw akhta'na. 
do not hold us accountable. Oh Allah, if we make a mistake or we forget, and in the hadith it says that Allah said upon this dua, قَدْ فَعَلْتُ That indeed I have done that. Meaning I have answered and accepted this dua. When you say, لَا تُؤَاخِذْنَا إِنْ نَسِينَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا So it is said that Allah said, قَدْ فَعَلْتُ That is done. You are not to be held accountable. You will not be held accountable upon your error or mistake. And all of that is connected to this then, that you are not held accountable for your thoughts or some thought that occurs to you or some whisper that occurs to you. فَكَوْنُهُ يَقَعُ فِي نَفْسِ الْإِنسَانِ شَيْءٍ إِذَا رَأَى شَيْءً يَكْرَهُ أَوْ يَخَافُ شَيْءً ثُمَّ لَا يَتَأَثَّرُ وَلَا يَتَصَرَّفُ تَصَرُّفًا يُخَالِفُ مَا شَرَعَهُ اللَّهِ لَا يُؤَاخَذُ عَلَى هَذَا So if a person sees something that is displeasing to him and some bad thought enters his heart regarding that situation uh, but as long and maybe he fears some affair of that situation but those thoughts that may occur to him he does not allow himself to be affected by them and does not act in a way that opposes the sharia so he doesn't actually then fall into omens and bad luck and the rest of it. He may have some thought that occurs to him at that time. But he does not allow it to overwhelm him. He recognizes he needs to be upon tawakkul in Allah. Recognizes the messenger loved the optimism and had the good thoughts of Allah. So he doesn't allow whatever feeling initially came to him regarding that to overcome him or affect him in any way, then that individual will not be held accountable upon that initial feeling that may have occurred to him when he saw that bad situation. If he thought some bad thought to himself, he will not be accountable upon that. And then he mentions at the end, وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهِ يُذْهِبُهُ بِالتَّوَكُّلْ That Allah removes any such feelings in your heart with tawakkul, with your trust and dependence in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. هَذَا هُوَ الْعِلَاجِ That is the cure. فَالْمُؤْمِنُ يَتَوَكَّلُ عَلَى اللَّهِ وَلَا يَذُرُّهُ مَا وَقَعَ فِي نَفْسِهِ وَيُذْهِبُ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ إِذَا أَوْ يَذْهَبُ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ إِذَا تَوَكَّلَ عَلَى اللَّهِ so whatever occurred to him, then that will not harm him. And it will not have any evil impact upon him. And it will be removed and it will go. Those bad feelings and the bad luck and the, the feelings of the, the uh, negativity and pessimism of the affairs, they will be removed with the trust and dependence of that person in Allah. His absolute reliance in Allah, knowing that all of these affairs are by the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever may have occurred. فَهَذَا إِشَارَةٌ إِلَى مَا تُعَالَجْ بِهِ الطَّيَرَ أَيْضًا 
So this is highlighting and indicating what is to be done to counter, to deal with any negative feelings, any feelings of bad luck, any feelings of these omen type affairs. How to get rid of those is through التوكل على الله تعالى. But then also, also, المضي وعدم التردد. That you then continue with what you are going to do. And that you do not hesitate. That, like the, the examples of the people now, the black cat or Friday the 13th. So the person now, he gets some feeling in his heart. But Friday the 13th, and it's connected to this and connected to that. And so many people in the whole world, they talk about it. There must be something about it. Maybe some feeling comes into his heart from his lack of understanding, from his lack of knowledge, perhaps some element of jahl, of ignorance. But then he remembers, remembers this and recognizes he must quash any such feeling in his heart. Because there is no reality to it. Puts his trust in Allah completely. Quashes all of those feelings. And then proceeds as he was going to do. Proceeds. Goes out. Does his affairs. Does his business. Does what he was going to do. Doesn't then say, okay, I put my trust in Allah. But I'm going to stay at home just in case. Then he hasn't put his trust in Allah completely. You put your trust in Allah, quash any such notion, and go and proceed with your activities as you were going to do. And have no hesitation. There is no bad luck. There is no bad omens. The smashed mirror or whatever they say in the black cat, and walking under the ladder, and all of these affairs of nonsense. فَإِن تَأَثَّرَ بِالطِّيَرَةِ الَّتِي وَقَعَتْ فِي نَفْسِهِ وَقَعَدَ عَنِ الْخُرُوجِ if those bad feelings of bad luck and these types of affairs overcome him and prevent him from proceeding and going out and doing what he was going to do, instead he remains sat at home, or he flees from the location that he was under the belief is a location of bad luck. He flees from that. Then that is the one who has been overcome by that dispraiseworthy and incorrect feeling of omens and bad luck. Because then that now has impacted on his behavior. If it impacts on your behavior, then that is where you have fallen into error. Friday the 13th, and now it impacts on your behavior. You think, I'm not going to go out today. What if this? What if that? Let me just stay at home. It impacts on your behavior like that. You have fallen into this omen type affair. Or the, the black cat, or walking under the ladder. A person has any type of feeling that this is some type of omen you've been affected, even if. Oh, walking under the ladder is one of them, isn't it? From what I remember. Walking under the ladder. So now you're walking in the street. And there's a window cleaner up there. 
Now you're going to walk. If you see that, and you think from all of what you were taught growing up and the tarbiyah of the, the kuffar and these omens, and it just occurs to you for a second, and you step out on the road and carry on walking instead of under. That now has occurred because of that small thought that came to your mind. You were impacted by it. Just for a second it came to your mind and you thought, big deal, no big deal. I'll just go this way. That small thought that came to your mind caused that action. That is the impermissible or the incorrect behavior the Sheikh is talking about. There should be nothing. Walk under that ladder without any fear. Unless you see that the guy is up there, it's wobbling around. That's another thing. That's nothing, that's something else. No problem with that. If a person does it, because look, everything in niyat. You're walking and you see it's wobbling. You see he's right up there on the third floor. It's two pieces joined together. And it doesn't look good. So you walk around it for that reason. Nothing to do with the bad luck or omens or anything. No problem. But the one who allows that momentary thought to come to him, and then he goes around, you've fallen into this. A Muslim should absolutely quash all of this nonsense that you are raised, everybody is raised upon in these societies regarding good luck and bad luck and fingers crossed and all of this business. A Muslim must quash all of that and make sure it is quashed in the tarbiyah of the children, not jokingly just forget and accidentally say, cross my heart or cross my finger, and you just say things that naturally just you were raised and born upon them and you forget. And we're going to get to that chapter as well. The shirk that occurs through speech, words can become shirk, not even an action, just words and statements that you make can be shirk. So then it mentions here, man raddathu, uh, the next narration of Ahmed, Al-Imam Ahmed, from the hadith of Ibn Amr, man raddathu tira an hajati faqad ashrak. Whomsoever turns away from proceeding to what he was going to do because of some bad luck thing, then he has fallen into shirk. Whoever stops and turns away from doing something he was going to do, somewhere he was going to go, because of some bad luck thing that he sees, and so he turns around and doesn't proceed, he has fallen into shirk. They said, how do you expiate that? If you fall into that, how do you expiate that? He said that you say, Allahumma la khayra illa khayrak wa la tira illa tirak wa la ilaha ghayrak that you say oh Allah there is no goodness except your good and there is no omen except yours meaning that anything which occurs is only by your decree and that there is no deity besides you wa lahu min hadith al-fadl ibn al-abbas he said that the omens and these affairs, they are in a nutshell something that causes you to proceed or not proceed. 
The best example of that when they used to throw the stone into the tree, if the birds flew in a particular direction out of the tree, they would say that's good luck and they would proceed and go do their business and open their markets. But if they threw the stone into the tree and the birds flew out the other way, they would say that is a sign of bad luck. Look, the birds flew out that way. So then they would not proceed. They would leave their markets closed, go home, shut their doors and stay at home all day. That is what these omens are in the definition of it in a nutshell. Something that causes you to proceed with your actions or prevents you from proceeding in your actions. Because you believe it's either good luck or bad luck. That is an omen. Uh, so, قَوْلُهُ مَنْ رَدَّتْهُ الطِّيَرَ عَنْ حَاجَتِهِ فَقَدْ أَشْرَكْ فِيهِ أَنَّ التَّطَيُّرَ الَّذِي يَرُدْ وَيَمْنَعَ الْإِنسَانَ عَنْ حَاجَتِهِ شِرْكْ That the omens and the likes of it that prevent you and repel you from doing something, from proceeding, then that is shirk. الطِّيَرَ مَا أَمْضَاكَ أَوْ رَدَّكَ So that's the same. That the omens are something which either causes you to proceed to the place or the person or to repel and get away from that place or person because you believe some bad luck is going to occur. An example the Sheikh gives, كَأَن تُرِيدًا تُسَافِرْ وَلَمَّا رَأَيْتَ الثَّعْلَبْ أَوْ الْغُرَابْ أَوْ فُلَانًا غُرَابْ The black crow, isn't that something they say? The black crow. So here the crow as well, the sheikh says, maybe somebody wants to go traveling. They intend to go on a journey. So in the morning they pack their bags, they get everything ready, they put them in the car, they sit down. And then just as they're about to go into first gear, they see a crow, a black crow, right in front of them on the road. And they think, that's it, a black crow. Unpack the car, go back inside kids. So now this is what occurs and they used to occur in the time of Jahiliyyah. They would see a snake or they would see a black crow. They would see something, that's it, done. Bad luck now. You know that's bad luck what we just saw. Turn around, go back, we're not going today. So that then is the shirk. Even a person, even a person, that you're going to go in the journey, you pack your car, you sit down, you're going to put it in the first gear and then you see so and so. And you think, subhanAllah, him? <laughs> that, that, that's got to be bad luck. That's got to be a bad sign for the journey. Him, of all people. Uh, forget it, we'll go tomorrow instead. So now that is omen, bad luck, that type of thing, omen, shirk. If you have those types of feelings and that type of belief. So the Shaykh said, when you have these types of feelings or this thing occurs, that you repel and quash all of that by remembering your tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that no one decrees any good for you except Allah and no one decrees any bad for you except from the decree of Allah. In the famous hadith, everybody knows, لَوْ اجْتَمَعَ النَّاسُ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَنْفَعُوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَنْفَعُوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ لَكَ وَلَوْ اجْتَمَعُوا عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَضُرُّوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لم يضروك بشيء إلا لم يضروك إلا بشيء قد كتبه الله عليك. That if all of the people they got together to do some harm to you, they would not be able to unless it was something decreed by Allah. 
And if all of them got together to do some good for you, they would not be able to unless it was decreed by Allah. We know that from the belief in the decree, from the sixth pillar of Iman. كَتَبَ اللَّهُ مَقَادِيرَ الْخَلَائِقِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَخْلُقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ بِخَمْسِينَ أَلْفَ سَنَةً وَكَانَ عَرْشُهُ عَلْمًا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote the decree of all of that which is to occur 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth and His throne was above the water. And the other narration, إِنَّ أَوَّلَ مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ الْقَلَمَ قَالَ لَهُ اكْتُبْ قَالَ مَا أَكْتُبْ قَالَ اكْتُبْ كُلَّ مَا هُوَ كَائِنْ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ When Allah created the pen, Allah said to it, write. The pen said, what shall I write? Allah said, write all of that, which is to occur up until the day of judgment. So the decree is the decree of Allah. When a person puts his trust in Allah, knowing nothing will occur of good or bad, except that it is by the decree of Allah, he can be content and satisfied in his affairs. And that's why the Prophet said, Ajaban! Li mu'min. How amazing is the affair of the believer? How amazing is the affair of the believer? That all of his circumstances, everything is always good. If something bad occurs to him, then he simply... Something bad happens to him, he... Praises Allah, remains patient, makes dua, asking Allah for relief, etc. And if something good happens to him, he... Thanks Allah. So regardless of whether it's something good happening to him or bad happening to him, he is upon his obedience and worship and dua and supplication and trust in Allah. And so that does not overwhelm him as it would overwhelm somebody who has little belief or little uh, uh, certainty and understanding regarding these affairs of Tawheed. So in summary, at the end, الحاصل أن الطيرة تعالج بهذه الأمور الثلاثة. الشيخ الفوزان says that uh, in conclusion, these omens and bad luck and these types of affairs, they are dealt with in three in three ways. Firstly, التوكل على الله to have absolute trust. In Allah. Secondly, al-mudi wa adamu ta'athuri biha. Wala tawhar ala tasarrufatika wa maka annaha wujidat. Secondly, you proceed with your affairs. And do not allow this bad luck thing or this omen to prevent you or stop you or cause hesitation in you in proceeding with your affairs. And do not allow that bad luck thing or omen to have any type of uh, uh, visible uh, uh, manifestation in your actions. Like the one who momentarily gets the thought and walks around the ladder. Do not allow those things to have any manifestation in your actions. Proceed with trust in Allah. 
The bad luck is absolute nonsense and these omens are nonsense. Athalitha and tadu'a bihadihi da'wat al-warida fila hadith. Faida da'ut Allah bihadihi da'wat. Faina Allah ya'afika mina tira wa yumidduka bi'anatihi wa nusrihi wa nusrihi wa tawfiqih. Thirdly, to make dua to Allah, to supplicate and invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to aid you and assist you and to make your affairs easy for you. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you that goodness from the dua that you make. And there are many, the duas here were mentioned, some of them, but generally the dua for leaving your homes, the dua in the mornings waking up, in the evenings, general du'as. General du'as you can do every day, like uh, the du'as of the morning and evening. Allahumma inni as'aluka khayra hadha al-yawm wa khayra ma ba'dahu. Wa a'udhu bika min sharri hadha al-yawm wa sharri ma ba'dahu. And in the evening, khayra hadhi layla wa khayra ma ba'daha. Wa a'udhu bika min sharri hadhi layla wa sharri ma ba'daha. Now, Allah, I ask you for the goodness of this day. And I ask you to, to safeguard me from any badness of this day. And in the evening, they come, Oh Allah, I ask you for the goodness of this night. And preserve me and protect me from any bad of this night. A general dua for all of your affairs for the daytime and then for the nighttime. Asking Allah for preservation from any evil and asking Allah for the goodness of that time. And there are so many for the morning adhkar and the evening adhkar. And they are certainly what you should guard over. And there's a great impact in them. The one who safeguards, preserves his dhikr of the morning and the evening, and you look at the meanings of those du'as, then you will see an impact in your day, in how you approach your day, how your mentality is during the day, how your thought process is during the day, after you read those du'as and you've understood their meanings in the morning and in the evening. So safeguard over those and look at those carefully. The supplications of the days. That's where we'll end for today then. That's the end of that particular chapter. Next time we'll start the new chapter. Which is. Babu ma jaa tanjim. The chapter regarding what has been mentioned about. The stars and uh, astrology and these affairs. Uh, your star signs and. Capricorn and whatever and what's going to happen to you and all those connected items regarding the stars. There's the narration regarding why the stars were created or the three purposes of the stars. Uh, so we'll start that chapter next time. Inshallah ta'ala. Any questions up to there then? Go on. Absolutely, if you come late for the prayer, the jama'ah has already started wherever you arrive in that jama'ah. They're in the first raka'ah, second raka'ah, third, in the prostration, the ruku, wherever. When you join the prayer, you must join with takbiratul ihram. Without that, your prayer has not even begun. Takbiratul Ihram, the opening, Allahu Akbar. That is a must to enter into the prayer. Without that, you are not even entering into the prayer. 
You can miss others, but not takbiratul ihram. Like for example, if you walk in and the jama'ah is in ruku'ah, and you fear that if you say Allahu Akbar, and then Allahu Akbar again to go into ruku'ah, that by that time the imam might say, Sami'allahu liman hamida, and you'll miss the rak'ah. So then you might say Allahu Akbar, which is the takbiratul ihram, you've entered into the prayer, and go straight into ruku'ah without the second takbiratul ihram, the takbiratul intiqal. Because your first takbira, Allahu Akbar, to enter the prayer, covers the second to go into ruku'ah. That's possible, but you cannot miss takbiratul ihram. And the second one is the imam. Um, uh, and uh, Shaykh al he mentions as well in the Prophet's prayer described, it's important to know how to say it as well. One of the common mistakes people make is they don't even say the Allahu Akbar at the start properly. And he mentions in his book, he says some of them, they say, Allahu Akbar. Common, isn't it not? Allahu Akbar. That is incorrect. Grammatically in Arabic, you are saying what? Allahu Akbar. What does that mean in Arabic? Is Allah the greatest? When you make it long, Allahu Akbar. You make the first alif long, Allahu Akbar. It means, is Allah the greatest? You change the meaning. It's important to know how to say it properly because your prayer does not begin without it. You cannot say, Subhanallah. Your prayer does not begin. You cannot say, Alhamdulillah. Or, La ilaha illallah. None of those others. Only Allahu Akbar for the prayer to begin. Hmm. And uh, if you again join the prayer and um, you realize in, uh, after the um, taslim, you get back up to uh, complete what you missed. Or the Imam was to the Sahu or something. You didn't. Oh, that's so long. We'll have to come to that another time. There's whole books written about the scenarios. When you entered into the prayer, did you enter when he made the mistake, or before he made the mistake, or after he made the mistake? There's too many scenarios, and not now. Next time, inshallah. That's the question about if you come into the prayer, and then you came late, so when the imam gives the taslim, you're going to get up now to finish, but then you realize the imam is going into prostration for forgetfulness. What's upon you now? There are lots of scenarios. There's a small book by a Shaykh al maybe like 60 pages long, explains all of the scenarios. It's translated now. It will come out soon, inshallah. Anybody else? قاموا الصلاة وكان الصف الأول مكتمل وإذا جاء شخص الصف الثاني لوحده هل يصلي أم يعني أم ينتظر شخص آخر معه حتى يأتي أن يصلي؟ so now this, there's this issue about imagine you walk into the mosque and the first row is full edge to edge no space anywhere can you what are you supposed to do then you go into the second row but you go into the second row you're going to be the only person alone. Is it permissible for you to make a row with one person? There's a big debate about this. There are narrations and differences between the scholars about whether it is permissible for one person to make a row, a new row. So some of them say it is impermissible. You cannot pray like that. You cannot make a row by yourself. So then what do you do? Some of them said, Pull out one person. Sheikh Yasin, mashallah. He came an hour before the prayer. 
drove all the way down from Longside two hours before the prayer to get the first row. And he waited and everything and sat down. Then you, mashallah, you grab him and put him back for the second row. <laughs> Miskin. Such a thun. But that's an opinion of some of the scholars. Pull one person back. But then if you pull him back, that scenario occurs. You've taken away the virtuous position. The first row position. You've taken that away from him. And you put him into the second row. And on top of that, it means now the first row technically has a deficiency in it. Even if they come and close the gap. At the edge now, there's a bit of a deficiency from the person that would have completed it. So there's a problem with that. Some of the others, they say, he can instead, don't pull anybody out then, leave him there. Instead, come and join next to the imam. You can make a row next to the imam. You can't pray by yourself. They say, come and join next to the imam. But then even that, come and join next to the imam. By the time the prayer does finish, there's probably... A whole row at the back anyway from all the people who came late. And you came through. And joining the imam, the reason why the scholars, they say that's problematic as well is, it's not like here we have like two rows or one row in the prayer. You go to some of the Muslim countries and time for the prayer, there's maybe 30 rows. You're going to walk through all of those rows because normally mosques, the, the normal architecture of a mosque in Muslim countries, when you build a mosque, is that the entrance is always at the back. So that the people who walk in, they just walk in and join the row. Not at the front. Here we have the buildings as they are. So now if you're in a mosque and there's 30 rows, 30 complete rows, and you're going to be the 31st row by yourself, you can't, what are you going to do? Walk all the way through the 30 rows to get to the imam at the front? So there are problems with this. So Allah Ta'ala A'lam, uh, you can look into the differences and the khilaf of the scholars and the adillah. There are two opinions. One scholars, One group of scholars will say, you cannot pray a row by yourself. So either pull somebody back, either go join the imam, either wait for somebody else to come. Others will say, upon the evidences and the deductions they've made, it is permissible. There's a difference of opinion on that. But again, that could be a whole lecture going through all the evidences for both sides to come to a conclusion. Maybe one day, inshallah ta'ala. Anybody else? Technically, uh, because the, the ayah is abrogated. The ayah is abrogated. Ayat of the Qur'an can be abrogated. That ayah is abrogated. So even the ending of it, that Allah forgives who He wills and punishes who He wills, it indicates and it proves that Allah has held them accountable. So it's an evidence for the accountability, not the lack of it. Hmm. <laughs> Hadith of this nature, that if anybody forgets or sleeps and misses the prayer, then he must pray it when he remembers it. And that's going to be when you. Wake up and then you remember I missed the prayer, didn't get up, so you go and pray. You must pray, that is not excused, then you haven't missed it. The one who overslept must pray it when he wakes up. The one who purposely, he, you know, takasulan, he was, he didn't pray, didn't pray, didn't pray, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna pray, and next thing the time is gone. 
Now the scholars, they say he missed his prayer, basically, on purpose. He kept saying, okay, give me two minutes, I'll pray, this, that, the other, next thing you know, the time's gone. He knew about it, he kept delaying it, kept delaying it. So he technically missed it on purpose. That one now the scholars say there's no qada. That doesn't mean he doesn't pray, he can he prays it, but it will not count for him. There is no qada for the one who misses the prayer on purpose. That is the opinion of a Shaykh al-Athimin and some of the scholars. You will not be rewarded for it. But the one who overslept gets up and prays and has the reward of fulfilling that qada'an. Anybody else? Yeah. You know the ayah in Hassan that sayyat and the sayyat in Shirul and Fusina and sayyat in Amalina. Is the same sayyat or is it different? Sayyat, all different types of sayyat. And often it is in reference to the minor sins, not the major sins. Minor sins are overwritten, over uh, uh, written by good deeds. So sayyat is the minor sins. <clears throat> it's the the sins that are overridden by good deeds and good actions are minor sins. Major sins require the the repentance. So when we say in I mean shururi and fusina, we say amalina. No, all of it. There can be different contexts of sins, but the major sins require toba. In Tajtani if you stay away from the major sins, we will expiate the other sins, the minor sins. There's only one difference of opinion about the, uh, not even difference, but as Sheikh Al-Albani mentioned uh, a narration, Allah alam how strong the opinion is, he needs uh, further investigation, that when you do the Rami al-Jamarat, it can expiate your major sins too. Mm. But else? Especially you know, when you pray Friday Jum'ah. You know, some people, they listen to Qur'an, but some of them, they sleep. And the wudu is... Um... The wudu, uh, from the nawaqid, the wudu is uh, uh, the deep sleep. This is the best opinion or the strongest opinion, deep sleep. The light sleep is not something that nullifies or breaks the wudu. What is the difference between light sleep and deep sleep? They say the light sleep is where you still have some feeling of what is going on around you. You can still vaguely hear voices and comprehend them. You can still vaguely have uh, some type of idea or perception of what's around you. You're, you're half there. So that doesn't break your wudu. But when you're completely gone, you're in sleep, then that breaks your wudu. So normally sitting up, Typically, sitting up, you would not fall into deep sleep, typically. At Jumu'ah time, 1 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, sitting on the wall, you would not expect somebody to fall into deep sleep. Even in the narration of the uh, companions, when they used to wait for the Prophet, وسلم, at Isha time, and they said that we used to be waiting, and uh, it mentions, that their heads used to be dropping. When you're falling asleep, their heads would be dropping like this. And it even mentions, يُسْمَعُ لَهُمْ that they used to hear them. Those kinds of sounds when you're kind of almost asleep. That it used to be heard from them. The heavy breathing. The heavy kind of breathing. And yet, that never broke their wudu. Because unless you are in deep sleep proper, you're out. That breaks your wudu. But light sleep, you know, light sleep could be somebody barely touches you and that's it, you're awake. You went in deep sleep. So that type of thing doesn't break your wudu. But heavy sleep proper, you're asleep. Somebody comes shaking, you're shaking, you're not getting up. You're asleep. Now your wudu's gone. Okay. Mm. Uh, you know the ayat, mm. uh, is that related to the hadith? Uh, uh, you know the 
And uh, you know, it's related to his eye of Zinab, and we hear back by. Sorry, question from the beginning. You know, the. You carried on exactly where you were from before the Allah. You know, the Allah, Tukdu or Tukfu, the Allah. It's the hidden one, the Tukfu, is like uh, related to the Hadith. Um, no, Tukfu is anything you conceal within yourself. So, any yeah. thought, any uh, idea, any intent you have in yourself that you have not made apparent. That's it. That's uh, this uh, about when eye of zina and the hearing backbiting and uh, like walking towards the bad action and the no, walking towards the bad action is the, more than inside the, yourself. Uh, now. The eyes you've acted upon it. Eyes and ears. Uh, eyes and ears. If you're actually doing it, you've acted upon it. This is something you think of, a thought that occurs to you. Khawatirun nufus, khawatirun nafs. Things that you think about inside or occur to you, and that you do not yet act upon them. People who join the classes and they haven't been in the class from the beginning, like we're halfway through this book now. However, that doesn't affect your ability to understand, especially this book. This book is chapters and each chapter can be understood independently. So now next week, it's a brand new chapter. Even people who have never attended a single class so far, could come next week and join in and they would understand the whole chapter. It's a separate independent chapter. Yes, there are overall generalities and principles of Tawheed we've been building up, but the chapter in and of itself can be understood. And every chapter that goes along can be understood in that way. 
So a person should not prevent himself from coming, saying that I wasn't there from the beginning. Uh, uh, knowledge is built up step by step, stage by stage, in small amounts. And these chapters, I mean now, uh, compared to how we were doing it, it's, it's explained in a bit more detail perhaps. And the chapters are simplified even more. The understanding of them is made easier even more. It's like when the Prophet ﷺ said to Ibn Abbas, Ya Ghulam, Inni u'allimuka kalimat. Oh boy, Ibn Abbas was young at the time. Oh boy, I am going to teach you some simple words, some small statements, some simple pieces of knowledge. And this, these classes, that's all they are. It is simple, broken down, easy. We read the explanation of a Sheikh Al-Fawzan here. A person should not prevent himself. And if you have started, get the book. It's available in English, the summarized version, those blue ones of a Sheikh Al-Fawzan. You can follow along in every chapter we're doing each week. You can ask questions at the end, whatever queries you have. And you can start learning. If you say, I'm not going to come yet because we're halfway through the book. When are we going to finish? You're going to wait another year until you start? The person begins his knowledge, begins his uh, uh, process of learning. And these lessons are not difficult. They're not complicated. It's not like a, a, some type of high level. I mean, this is considered a beginner's book. Kitab al-Tawheed is considered a beginner's book. So you can begin that and the chapters are independent. You ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for aid and assistance. Be serious, be focused and start learning from that point where you are. And that's how we did it. When we first went to Medina, in that first year, there were some classes where the scholars were picking up from the previous year. So now what are we going to do and say, we'll wait till this scholar finishes this book before we come and start studying with him? Rather you go, pick up that book from the middle to start picking up benefits, start learning in a general way, if not specific yet then, at least to start learning generally the concepts of Tawheed, generally hearing about the ayat and the hadith and getting some benefits and notes and getting an idea of Tawheed and what this knowledge is. So you must begin that journey as uh, uh, Ibn Umar used to say, If you make it to the morning, then don't expect to live till the evening. And if you make it to the evening, don't expect to live till the morning. Meaning, with your actions. Don't say, but I'll start tomorrow. But I'll start next week. I'll start when they start the new book. Who has told you you will even be here for the next week's lesson? Let alone the next book. So a person does not delay. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has opened up your heart to wanting to seek knowledge, understanding that you need to learn your religion, then do not delay in doing so. Attend the gatherings of knowledge and start picking up that knowledge and building it. And inshallah ta'ala, you'll still benefit and learn. Especially a book like this, like we said, independent chapters. We are in the second half of it now. You will greatly understand and benefit all that second half. And then you can learn the first half again at a future point. So a person does not allow that type of idea to stop him. That is in reality from the whisperings of the shaitan. That the book is halfway. How are you going to pick it up now? How are you going to learn? too difficult, you miss so many lessons. No, that is from the whisperings preventing you from knowledge. Rather attend, 
Seek assistance from Allah, bring your pad and pen, get the English and start learning the chapters and it can be done. I have seen a brother in another one of the gatherings where I teach. He became Muslim recently, like in the last year. And in the middle of the book, he started attending and he's a regular attendee. Now he got the English book. He makes his notes and he's been benefiting and learning. Didn't say I'm going to wait until you start the next book. And he's a, a revert who just became Muslim. And he may even say, but let me wait till the easy book starts or that book starts. He came, he began and he's been studying. Alhamdulillah. So when that opportunity comes, take it. Because you do not know what the future may be. In six months or 12 months, the new book starts. You might be at a stage in your life where you're not bothered about knowledge anymore. Something has happened and some things have changed. So when the opportunity comes, you must grasp it. Do not delay with it. Slowly start to learn. Come and ask questions when you have questions. And inshallah ta'ala, you'll benefit. All right, we'll have to stop there. It's the prayer time. Inshallah, we'll continue next week. Hopefully, uh, it'll be about uh, 8 o'clock, 8.15. So Maghrib, maybe 7.30 by next week or something. So it'll be maybe 20 minutes after Maghrib. I can't get it yet, Maghrib time. So about 8 o'clock, try and be here for 8 o'clock at least. We'll begin about 8, 10 past 8, inshallah.